Welcome, everyone, to the Houghton Wesleyan Church on this, the 12th Sunday of Pentecost. Please join me in the call to worship. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Creator God, we glimpse your beauty in setting sun, mountain top, eagle's wing. We sense your power in thunder crash, lightning flash, and ocean's roar. Creator God, we praise you. Precious Jesus, we see your love stretched out upon a cruel cross. We stand in awe at your sacrifice, pure love poured out for humankind. Precious Jesus, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we see your power in lives transformed, hearts on fire. We listen for your still, small voice, comforting, guiding, calling. Holy Spirit, we praise you. God, your presence and wisdom and peace is abundant. Inspire us today to praise you heartily from the depths of our souls. Amen.
song. I think the Lord already started answering the melt part, and I'm melting up here. But uh, it's good to see you and welcome you, and we want you to greet one another in the Lord for a few moments. Take time. Once again, welcome to you, and we welcome also Chris and Corey Teed and Anna and Fritzlin, two of their three children, and they're going to bring us a few moments of greeting from Haiti. We've been supporting them, I don't know how many of their 20 years of service, but they've been one of the most interesting folks to follow and the most varied and dedicated work I know, and I want to make sure you know that you need one of their prayer cards so that you can look at their blog spot. It's one of the best missionary blog spots in the world. We support them. We support one of the best. So agricultural and medical missions and spiritual work in Haiti, let's welcome the Teeds. Could we? Let's give them a hand. If it is good, it's probably due to Dr. Emmett, because I met Dr. Emmett when I was in kindergarten. And I remember all those years he said, missionaries need to communicate with their support team. And so I'll I'll say thank you to him. Uh, We are looking at 20 years, and we know that the only way that we are continuing to serve in Haiti is because we have a great support team and we have a lot of prayers. So thank you for your part in in helping us be in Haiti. Um, our, our, Our locations have varied, but really what we're doing is based on Philippians 4.12. Our goal is to help the Haitian people through agricultural agricultural, medical, and spiritual education to be able to reach their own people because they don't have language barriers or cultural barriers. And that's what we've continued to do. We start out on Lagunav, mostly doing the medical because I'm a family practice doctor. Then we spent 10 years in northern Haiti with Corey being basically focused on the agricultural work. But then a couple years ago, we were waiting for our adoption of Fritzland to go through. Our ministry was, was going okay. We really weren't feeling about a move. And the Wesleyan Church bought 30 acres of property that they wanted to make an agricultural profit. So they asked Corey to come and to, to tell them how to do it. And we went up there, and we saw the, and heard their dream, and we met with independent missionaries that were nearby. And God totally just said, okay, you guys are moving. And we're like, wow, okay. And um, so the last year basically has been working on building a house on the remote ridge up there. We, Lord, opened the doors. We actually house sat for the other couple for 10 months while we built up here. And the National Church really had a couple goals they thought we could help them with up here. One is to make a profit, and two is to bless all the Haitian farmers, which are probably 70 to 80% of Haitians are still agriculturalists. And we thought about that, and that's what we were planning to do. Corey is anxious to get back to planting trees and not do it working on buildings. And then 
Fritz Lynn came home the 1st of October. His visa came through in April. So our first week in the U.S. in May was at the Global Partners Retreat with the Haiti, the Caribbean, um, South and Central America. And Pastor Dan Irving told us the good news. The last churches that were damaged and went down with the earthquake have been rebuilt. That most of the churches that were damaged two years ago with a hurricane that hit the southern coast, the Wesleyan churches, have now been rebuilt. So instead of responding to crises, our new push is going to be agriculture. And Corey and I were very happily surprised, agriculture. So we have a new team. Five of the Global Partners missionaries are going to focus on the agricultural ministry partnership team. And what we're going to do is to help the Haitians through agriculture make a profit from land to put into their own ministries because most Haitian pastors have to work two or three jobs just to put food on their table and their kids in school. And another very exciting thing is we're getting ready to send out our first Haitian missionary. Pastor Wendell is preparing to get married this month, and he and his wife, who is a nurse, they would love to be able to start next year in Africa serving in a French-speaking Muslim area. But you can imagine in a country as poor as Haiti, where you can hardly support your own pastors, to send a missionary overseas is a bit of a stretch. So the AMP team, we hope to start gearing up. We're looking for a second property, more coastal, that will have a demonstration garden. And Moringa, which we've been working with for years, they're doing it on Laganov. They make it by the bucket. Dan says he wants to make it by the ton, which is a big God-sized dream. Um, so we could bless every hospital and feeding program in Haiti, all the schools, and maybe even export it. Um, so with these big new areas, the first new um, really outreach and campus in Haiti in 30-some years, with expanding to, to ministering outside of Haiti's borders, we know comes a lot of spiritual battles. So we're really trying to work on that prayer team. Um, I like Pastor Paul said, we have a blog spot. We have our emails on this. If you sign up in the back and give us your contact information, we can send, we'll send out short updates. We have a Facebook prayer group just for the agricultural ministry team. Um, just to be able to help, even today I was just asked how this church in Haiti with a rusty roof is going to get funding to replace their roof. Well, in a few years, hopefully, the AMP team will be helping them to get some of that money. But right now, of course, we have, we have funding needs, but especially the prayer needs. And Haiti is praying for you because we've never met a Haitian atheist. They all know the spiritual battle, so they are praying fervently for people in North America because you guys have a harder mission field, and the Haitian Christians realize that. We're all together. We're all working on God's team. And so I want you to be encouraged that they're praying for you. If you send us prayer, prayer um, for your church, we will be sure to share that. And we just want to say thank you for partnering with us. If you have questions, you can talk to us later or you can email us. And may God continue to bless you guys in your ministry here as we work together for the kingdom. Thank you. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship together.
may be seated. Today's Old Testament reading is Isaiah 44, verses 1 through 5. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please stand for the doxology? Redemption comes in strength. 
prayer time this morning. And I first want to say a, a personal thank you for those of you who prayed for us on our, on our uh, Puerto Rico trip here recently. We're grateful for your prayers, and we will have a, an update sometime in the next couple weeks before school starts. But, uh, and you'll see, you'll hear from the whole team. But uh, anyway, we're grateful for that. And as we go into our prayer time, I would invite you to join me here at the altar if you'd like to do that. And uh, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in awe of who you are. Our hearts are full of gratitude for your love, your mercy, and your grace that covers us in every moment of every day. Lord, we recognize our need for you and for your sustaining, life-giving presence in our lives. In this moment of silence, we open our hearts to you, confessing our sins and expressing our gratitude. Father, fill our hearts with your love so that we can be the people that you would have us to be. Lord, there are many among us who are grieving or, in, or are in pain, and we lift them up to you today. We pray specifically for Mark Sweet and his family at the death of his father this past week. May all who are grieving this loss experience your comfort and peace. We also lift up to you Mildred Berry and the Stockton family. Father, bless them with a deep awareness of your presence with them. Lord, there are many among us who are sick or injured, and we ask for your healing hand to be on Aaron Kohler, Phil Maine, Dan Gurley, Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Gus and Louise Princell, Nancy Cole, Peter Lingenfelter, Sheila Davis, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Emily Cricklier, and others. Father, bless each of these with your healing hand. Bring comfort and ease suffering. Surround each one with your love and with the love of your people. Lord, we also want to take a moment to remember the refugee crisis that exists in our world. Millions of people being forced from their homes and countries by war and violence, terrorism, and persecution. The scale of this human devastation is staggering, Father. Lord, we pray for your intervention. Give wisdom to world leaders as they make decisions that have impacts on real people. Give them insight and empathy and grace. And Father, give us as your church courage and great love. 
May your people be light in this difficult and dark situation. We thank you, Lord, for your servants who are working to spread your love around the world. And we thank you specifically today for Chris and Corey Teed and their family. We're grateful for their heart for those who have not heard of Jesus, for their obedience to your call, and for this ministry that you have given them. We thank you that they could be here today and for this good report of their ministry. Father, please strengthen and sustain them as they seek to do your will in Haiti. May their ministry be fruitful and draw many into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And Father, it's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things, remembering the prayer that he taught us to pray, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Today's New Testament reading is from the book of Matthew 13, verses 44 through 53. Please stand, if you are able, for the reading of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, children may be dismissed for Children's Church.
Well, as always, I'm happy to be able to speak to you all this morning. And Ann McNeil moved this footrest, and I wanted to see what it was like to be John Cole behind here. So I was like, wow. <laughs> Man, I kind of like that. Uh, as most of you know, I teach a variety of courses at the college dealing with uh, theology and pop culture. Um, and I'd like to start with a story of, that, that I find kind of weird and fascinating. Um, this past year, I've been fascinated with the tempest brewing in a teapot within the Star Wars fandom. Now, I suspect the phrase Star Wars fandom has never been uttered before from the Houghton Wesleyan Church pulpit, so I better explain. The controversy swirls around the film The Last Jedi. I saw the movie. I thought it was okay. I even stayed awake for the whole film. Um, you might think that's setting the bar pretty low, but I'm getting to the age where if I sit for more than an hour, I'm probably going to fall asleep. Okay. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie, what I'm about to relate will even seem more strange to you, I suspect. Apparently... Because this film contained some fairly radical plot twists, a group of Star Wars fans became so enraged to the point that they want to remake the film. Uh, since in their words, this is a quote, the core goal of Star Wars has been abandoned. <laughs> Just let that last sentence sink in for a moment, folks. The controversy is so serious that the director of the film has actually received death threats. And at the end of this June, two months ago, this rebel group claimed to have received over $13 million in pledges to remake the film. So talk about Star Wars faith promise, right? <laughs> pledges, right? Uh, of course, this group doesn't have anything like the rights to remake Star Wars, but people who get angry at movies because they don't turn out the way they want, they don't think about those minor details, right? Uh, now, I have a confession. <laughs> I can't resist trolling people like this. It's, it's too easy. It's too easy. You know, I heard they originally approached Danny DeVito to place uh, Han Solo. <laughs> you can blow up the internet with comments like this, let me tell you folks. Now, if the lesser angels uh, of your nature ever get the better of you and you engage in this highly nefarious but entertaining pastime, this is what you will find. For these folks, this is not just a story. These people live out of the Star Wars universe. You know folks like this? Oh, my goodness. It's about freedom-loving, oppressed rebels keeping up the fight against all odds, against dark totalitarian forces. These people understand who they are, their identity, and what they stand for, and their whole orientation toward the world. It's quite bizarre. Now, what I want to say to you this morning... Uh, in view of the parables that were read for us, is this is how a good parable functions. They're not stories that merely teach 
lessons. There are stories in which you find yourself being picked up and carried along, in which the plot and the characters begin to make sense of your world. A good parable will not leave you unchanged. Now, of course, a number of Jesus' parables are recorded for us throughout the Synoptic Gospel. Sometimes he's misunderstood. Sometimes people don't get the parable at all. Sometimes when they do get it, they're quite angry because they realize that it's directed towards them. In the passage from Matthew's Gospel that was read for us this morning, uh, we, we heard three parables... But actually, the whole chapter is a series of parables. The sower, the weeds amongst the wheat, the mustard seed, the yeast, and then from our particular passage, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, the net of fish. Now, Jesus has to explain a couple of these parables along the way. So when he asks his disciples, have you understood all this? which refers, I think, to all of the parables that Matthew has sewn together in this chapter, it's kind of a conceit on their part when they say yes, because he's already given them part of the answer key. But then Jesus says something that I find very intriguing. He says, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out of his treasure... What is new and what is old? I think Jesus is asking more than simply, do you understand the content of these parables? I think he's also asking, do you see how they work? Can you look at the parables in which I've told and say, oh, Jesus, I see what you just did there. Because everyone who has been trained in the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who can bring out old treasures, but also new treasures. What you've been taught, what you already know, and new treasures. There's a creative component here, I think, that Jesus is entrusting his followers with. Bible scholars are fond of pointing out how Jesus always takes familiar passages from the Old Testament and brings new life them so his hearers can hear them uh, for the first time. But there's nothing particularly Old Testamentish about the parables that were read for us this morning. He's taking scenes from everyday life and using them to communicate what the kingdom of heaven is about. Planting crops, finding that perfect item you've been looking for, sending out wedding invitations, recovering livestock that have followed that have wandered off, and hauling in a load of fish. And every one of his followers who gets it is like the master of a household who is not only able to take Old Testament passages, but is able to take his parabolic imagination and to take what is commonplace and to use it in such a way that we can communicate what the kingdom of God is about. For people who maybe don't sow seeds or buy pearls or chase down livestock or net fish for a living. So maybe God's kingdom is like a persistent cat who, because he was sure he was starving to death, sang the song of his people at 4.30 a.m. until the owner said, 
I will get up and grant this kitty some treats. So verily, his caterwauling will not wear me out. And there was great rejoicing. Now, that's oddly specific. But if you come to our house early in the morning, you may see some lights on. Is that too silly? I think that there are a lot of embodied or enfleshed parables around us just waiting to be told. So maybe the kingdom of heaven is like a family who leaves the comfort of home and friends for a far country, and when they arrive, they plant seed on hard soil and patiently wait for a surprising harvest. And so Kevin and Cindy Austin pull up out of Houghton and move to the Czech Republic. And Martin and Sherry Hegeman move to that hard field of Niger to undertake kingdom work. Or maybe the kingdom of heaven is like a summer camp in which children who have been neglected and abused come to understand their royal parentage. So the Van Wicklands had a vision, what, 25 years ago? Of giving children like this a taste of the kingdom. In fact, what sparked the idea for this sermon was when Jamie Mullen last month was honoring the Van Wicklands from this very pulpit, uh, and he mentioned a story in which Doug Maley uh, had commented on what he had seen at RFKC, and, and he said, I think this is what heaven must be like. And I immediately started scribbling down notes, and I went to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Um, of course, five minutes later, I started thinking about Return of the Jedi, whatever it was, but that's just the way my mind works, okay, you know. Um, You see what I'm saying, though? A parable is a story that opens up and communicates God's kingdom, and here's what the Star Wars fans have got right. It's not just a story. It's a story in which we can locate ourselves. So in Luke 14, for example, Jesus tells the story of the great banquet and how the invited guests one by one turned down the invitations. So the owner of the house said to the servants, what am I going to do with all this potato salad? Go out and round up the poor and the blind and round up hungry college students. And in the very next chapter, Jesus' critics accuse him, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's not just a story. Jesus is making this kingdom a present reality in the lives of people. If you read the Gospels carefully and you see how Jesus does this, you'll see how some, why some folks have called Jesus himself the parable of God. In his story, we see the fullness of the kingdom. The problem, of course is when we give lip service to one set of parables, but our lives seem to be guided by another set that we really believe. And frankly, I think that much of the churches uh, today, the parabolic imagination has been hijacked. I mean, what if the kingdom of God was really like a vineyard owner who, when he paid those workers whom he hired at the 11th hour, the same amount as those who worked for him all day, was confronted by those angry workers who thought they were being treated unfairly and was persuaded by their arguments. So he took back nine-tenths 
of what he gave to the workers whom he hired at the 11th hour and said, Verily, generosity sucks. (laughs) So I shall give you guys what you earned and not a penny more, for the first shall be first and the last shall be losers. Or what if the kingdom of God was really like a man who had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off, but the man thought, I will not waste my time running after that ingrate sheep. Life's all about choices, pal, and you just made a bad one. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, that's the way my mind works, folks. And by the way, good luck with the wolves out there. And he called his neighbors and said, Rejoice greatly with me, for my herd has just been culled. Or what if the kingdom of God was really like a good Samaritan who stopped to help an injured man on the side of the road, and a priest and a Levite hurried over to the Samaritan and said, What in the world do you think you're doing? And the Samaritan looked down at the bleeding man and looked up at the Levite and the priest and said, Is this a trick question or what? And they replied, as it is written, God helps those who help themselves. Blessed is the neighbor who lectures people in need on the virtues of self-reliance. Now, the sad thing today is that there are some churches who would not hesitate to defend the way I've retold these parables. In a way that's completely opposite to their explicit point. But surely remixing parables just isn't a matter of relativism. You tell it your way, I tell it mine. I think the trick is, when you're using this parabolic imagination, when you bring the new treasures out of your storeroom to make the new treasures consonant, to make them consistent with the old treasures. For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasures both new and what is old. Now, to illustrate, I'm going to do a little bit of a theological experiment here. Not really exegesis. I'm kind of experimenting. I pondered whether to do this this morning, but I figured Wes only asked me to preach once a year. Hopefully, you'll forget about it by next August. (laughs) There was a man who had three sons, Luke, Harry, and Bruce. One day they came to their father and they said, Father, give us our share of the inheritance, for you are old and crusty, and we are young and hip and full of good ideas on how to fix up the world. So don't be a stingy old git. Cut us in on our share of the loot. So the father liquidated some assets and gave them all platinum cards, and there was great rejoicing. Now the first son, Luke, entered the dangerous world of hardball politics, He learned well the weapons of the trade. When his opponents went low, he went lower. Until he got to the point where it was impossible to distinguish his tactics from the tactics of his enemies. Verily, the force was strong with this one. And he was in danger of being seduced by the dark side until one day his enemy actually whispered, Luke, I am your father. (laughs) 
But that was a lie. Because there's no fixing up the culture with a saber. Even a righteous one. And mirroring the world's strategies. The second son, Harry, became a celebrity evangelist and faith healer. The crowds became so huge he would pack out sports arenas. Lo, he would mount up with wings like an eagle on his private jet and spread the good news of health and wealth and prosperity. And great crowds flocked to hear Harry and witness the many signs and wonders he did. And his amazed followers exclaimed, You're a wizard, Harry. (laughs) But that was a lie. Because there's no fixing up the culture with carnival hucksterism and spiritual snake oil. And truly, when people became bored with Harry, they moved on to find someone else with greater signs and wonders. The third son, Bruce, became a social media celebrity. He was a ubiquitous presence on Facebook and Twitter. Lo, his podcasts filled the interwebs, and he gave leading-edge talks on te- at TED conferences on spirituality and leadership. He was the master of technology, of so many cool apps and gadgets on his phone that once in a moment of sheer self-absorption, he exclaimed, I'm Batman. <laughs> his followers thought he was the hero we deserved, not the one we wanted, or vice versa, or something similarly cryptic. But that was a lie. He was merely one more trendy social media celebrity basking in his 15 minutes. For verily, all the technology in the world won't give you substantial ideas, let alone truth. In the fullness of time, a mixture of sex scandals, plagiarism, and woolly-headed thinking eventually caught up with the boys and brought them down in turn. They ran out of luck and money, and lo, their cards were declined. But because none of them had actual marketable skills, they were reduced to taking unpaid internships in the warehouse of an online retail giant that shall go nameless. And they were so hungry that they longed to fill their bellies with the styrofoam peanuts and bubble wrap in the warehouse, and no one gave them anything. At last they came to themselves... And remembered they had three sisters living at home, whom they ignored for most of their lives and had nearly forgotten about. And Luke said, our sisters back in the father's house are enjoying Roku and have avocado toast to spare while we sit here eyeing bubble wrap. Let us arise and go to our father and say, Father, we have sinned against heaven and against you. We are no longer worthy to be called your sons. Treat us like your paid interns. So they set off and went back home. And when they were far off, the father saw them and ran out to meet them. They said, Father, we have sinned against heaven and against you. But the father cut them off and said to his servants, Quick, bring the fuzzy slippers, the little panda slippers that look like little bears on your feet. And break out the blender and let us make kale smoothies. For these sons of mine were idiots. And they found out that fixing up the culture 
isn't as straightforward as they thought it would be. Now, when the three sisters, Rachel, Monica, and Phoebe, (laughs) saw that their brothers had returned, they said, Father, these sons of yours are losers. They ruined your credit score, brought shame to your name, and for some reason they have bits of styrofoam stuck in their teeth. We've worked in your house together for years, mainly behind the scenes, and they barely acknowledge us. Yet when these young social media influencers and world changers return home, you break out the blender for them and probably want to give them their old corner offices back. But the father said, Rachel... Phoebe, Monica, you make a good point, and I wish someone had enough time for another sermon to address that. This is called breaking the fourth wall. Okay. But at the end of the day, we can't live in a divided house. Your brothers had to learn not to think of themselves according to the parables of this world. Luke had to learn to put away his lightsaber for all who take up the sword, even metaphorically, will perish by the sword. For our weapons are not the weapons of this world. Harry had to learn that only a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and that today's prosperity preacher and faith healer is tomorrow's laughingstock. And Bruce had to learn to stop tweeting and put his phone down. For although all things may be permissible, not all things are helpful. And truly, I say to you that being a Christian media celebrity is one of the most vapid ambitions you can set your sights on. I hope they've learned their lesson. But if not, we have styrofoam peanuts at home, too. The father said this to his sons, I'm about to prepare a great banquet, and I want you all to learn the arts of welcome, of forgiveness, of generosity, rather than trying to razzle-dazzle people with political might, signs and wonders, or gadgets. For people will be fixed up more by hospitality and mercy than by engaging in brutal culture wars by spiritual carnival shows, or all the latest tech. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his sons to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. It's not just a story. May God bless you all richly this morning as you seek to bring out of your household treasures, both old and new for the kingdom of heaven. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Please stand and join us as we sing. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray.
receive the benediction. And now may the great parable of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you with every good work to make his kingdom a present reality. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.